Remember your summer camp experiences? Join lifelong friends Kate Coward and Megan Cosgrove as they reminisce about their friendship, which began at summer camp, and the experiences they believe sparked their lifetime involvement in wild places. Take a listen to episode number seven with Kate Coward to be inspired by her outdoor athletic feats and accomplishments. Today, we give Megan Cosgrove, the camp director for Why of the Norse Camp Minogen, some sunshine. Learn how camp has changed since we were kids, why summer camp is more important than ever, and why Camp Minogen might lead in badassery, my words, not Megan's, of all the camps in the Midwest. Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, a conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Jody Gruen, and we do this for fun. It's Jody, and you are so lucky today because you do not have to hear my voice, and it's uh, the entirety of this podcast. We have uh, an amazing second appearance of a guest host. Host, I'm going to start over. We have an amazing second appearance of a guest host, Kate Coward. Take it away. All right. <laughs> Thank you for having me back, Jody. I'm I'm very excited. Um, I think this is my second time, so. I will do my best to be a um, accredited guest host for you and your podcast. Oh, um, <laughs> so I think when was I on? Maybe two or three years ago, and then as a guest, and then host the, this winter, uh, interviewing Emily Vikra from Duluth, from Vikra Distillery. And if those of you who have not listened to me as a guest, um, my background is kind of anything extreme outdoors. Extreme pushing my body. I won't jump out of airplanes <laughs> or anything like that. Um, but all things biking, running, little swimming, um, anything that gets me outdoors. And so um, over the years, I've connected with many people who enjoy the outdoors and the wilderness as much as I do. And so, look, Jody and I wanted to introduce the listeners to somebody who is very special in our community and very special to me. Um, our guest today is Megan Cosgrove, and Megan Cosgrove is currently the Executive Director of YMCA Camp Minogen since 2017. Prior to Minogen, Megan worked for Planned Giving at the Y of the North and Executive Director of Camp Warren for nine years. Megan is a firm believer in the power of small group wilderness experience, and she works tirelessly to ensure that all of us who want to join Minogen Adventure have that opportunity. She's passionate about lighting sparks to create lifetime involvement in wild places. And when not at camp, she spends her time canoeing, bikepacking, backpacking, <laughs> traveling, and skiing. But before we get into all the incredible ways Megan um, has connected families to the outdoors with camps in Minnesota, if we go all the way back to, I believe, 1991, I may have that year wrong. <laughs> That sounds close. <laughs> um, Megan and I actually met at summer camp. We were in the same cabin. And a couple of years later, I switched schools, and our lockers ended up next to each other for the next five years. And we both did uh, extracurricular activities together and um, lived, our families lived near each other. And toward the end of high school, um, your family moved within walking distance of my family. <laughs> and we have been friends ever since. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. This is really exciting that I get the chance to interview you. 
Thank you for having me. So my first question for you is, did you imagine a life of service through the outdoors when you were at Camp Warren? When we, if we're transporting back to, that was my first time, I mean, I had camped as a kid, but that was my first time being, you know, three or four weeks living in a cabin out in the outdoors. And at that time, was that a future for you? Was that? I never imagined that. Uh, <laughs> there were other people at camp that were not surprised when I ended up becoming the camp director many years later. Um, but in my mind, I was just pursuing my passions and interests and um, camp just felt like such a great fit at the time that that's what I did in the summers. Um, so it, it has surprised me that not only I went into this field, but that I have stayed in it so long. I think that's something that I, I know I've struggled with is I have passions and then I have sort of how do you make a living? <laughs> and I was always afraid of making my passions how I made a living in fear that they wouldn't be my passions anymore or maybe I wouldn't sort of have the lifestyle that I wanted through those passions because I can't really make a lot of money from just riding a bike everywhere. But um, did you ever struggle with that? Like take us, take us to a moment or a time or did it just happen? Like t talk about how you kind of blend passions with your service and your work. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great question. Um, out of college, I, I worked uh, in a therapeutic uh, environment working in the, in the wilderness and uh, I got that experience out of the way quickly because what happened was the kids were being forced to go to the woods and then I was with them and they were hating it and we were doing our best to try and make it a, a good experience for them. But then I started to hate being in the woods. And so I knew that I needed to remove myself from that type of environment. And I would say that industry has, um, has grown and gotten a lot stronger since then. But I, I decided that um, I wanted to be in education and so I actually became a, a classroom teacher um, as a result of that guiding experience. But then ultimately it's that experience working at a boarding school that led me back into camping. Um, the irony here is that when you're actually leading a place like Minogen, you don't get out much yourself, um, rather in providing, along with a, an incredible team of other people, providing the experiences for the youth. Um, but every year we go on a staff training trip and that's four days that I'm very excited about uh, in June. Um, and then I try and find time uh, when camp isn't in, in its busiest season. So September has become a really sacred time, April a sacred time to get out uh, and make sure that I am pursuing those passions on my own in addition to helping others pursue them. So Megan, are you saying that you live like half time in one place and half time in another? I do, it, it is very much a lifestyle job. Um, I'm leaving in a week to move uh, up to mid-trail, the Gunflint Trail, and actually we don't know if we're going to be able to move in because last time we measured uh, there was 20 inches of ice still on our lake and we're a water access only facility. So um, I will prepare to leave, I will pack up all my stuff and I have no idea when I'll actually leave. Uh, and that that uh, is just part of my life and it, it's an exciting part of it, but it also can be really challenging. Has that ever happened before? Last year. That happened last year as well. <laughs> uh, the ice went out Sunday night and we got in the car, we as in the, the full-time team that, that needed to open camp up, got in the car the next morning and, and headed to camp. So it was a little touch and go there and, and I think this year will be the same. Um, so that that's always a fun element of the spring. Can you give our listeners a sense of the various types of programs that Minogen has? Because I don't think a lot of people know I mean, when people think of summer camp, they think of yeah. young kids, right? Young kids come for days, weeks at a time, or maybe day camps. But 
I think Minogen is pretty special in various ways, having an all-round element and an all-ages. Can you share more about that? Yeah, so our summer program is geared towards teens, and uh, when we say teens, we mean 11 to 19-year-olds, um, which is basically 7th through 12th grade. And uh, the camp is on the edge of the Boundary Waters area wilderness, and so um, canoeing is really uh, the majority of our trips, but then we have a really strong backpacking program that goes out west to Isle Royal to um, Alaska and many points in between. And then we have a small rock climbing program um, that goes on the, not the Appalachian Trail, but the Superior Hiking Trail <laughs> and um, Seagull Lake in the Boundary Waters. So um, nice variety there. And our trips range from five days to 50 days. And as you would imagine, there's a progression built in for the campers should they choose to pursue it. Um, but one thing that we're really clear about is that we want to honor a five-day introductory experience as much as we do our seven-week um, expeditions because kids are coming to us from all different backgrounds and comfort levels with being outside. And, um, you know, we, we see the value in all of those experiences. And is there, is it, is it only trips or do these teenagers come over the summer and have just stay at the camp and do things on campus? Uh, we are basically a base camp for, for okay. those trips. Um, but what we do in the fall, winter and spring is welcome people of all ages. And those are mostly day trips. So a typical group would come to us, um, spend three nights, four days and uh, they might go into local Superior National Forest, visit Rose Falls, visit Honeymoon Bluff or Caribou Rock, some of these um, well-known destinations in Cook County. And the advantage of that is that then they can sleep at camp at night and, and have the meals cooked for them. Um, and then in the winter, we actually have 20 to 22 dog sleds that are uh, sled dogs, excuse me, that come on site and then we lead dog sledding oh, cool. so that um, that's lesser known part of our program but uh, it definitely a bucket list item that gets a lot of people to Minogen for the first time uh, December through March so when when can I bring my four-year-old <laughs> we also have four family camp weekends so um, that that would be most of the long weekends throughout the year so Labor Day uh, we cut fall camp over what we call MEA. Um, and then we have a New Year's camp. Actually, this is adding up to five camps, uh, Martin Luther King weekend and President's Day. So we really try uh, to make sure that, that we have accessible programs for families as well. And we'll see multiple generations join us, uh, which is fun. What's the oldest camper you've had? Um, coming out of COVID, we had a 20 and a half year old um, okay. because you know they were supposed to go on our longest trip mm -hmm. Uh, and then it got delayed. So we were thrilled when that group remained intact pretty much and, and joined us after the pandemic surge. So why do you think camp experiences are important for youth or adults? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think it's that um, sense of community and, and the relationship building happens so naturally on a trip um, because everybody's responsible for everybody else's well-being and so you have to work together to cook to portage um, and it just allows for that cohesion to happen really really quickly and you also have removed most of the distractions of life on these trips so uh, first of all we don't even have cell reception at our base camp and so that makes it easy for for youth in particular to unplug and then out on the trips there also isn't isn't cell reception. So um, campers are just learning to interact with each other and um, 
you know, there's just, there's a lot of problem solving that happens together. And, um, and then of course there's the challenges that are inherent in these trips. And so you just bond through that. Um, and so one of the great joys of my job is watching a group on day one and they're trying to, you know, get to know each other. And then in as little as four or five days, they paddle back into our bay and you can just feel the energy and the excitement of what they've experienced together. And that's why I do what I do. Um, and we're well positioned. Our office looks right into the bay and uh, you can just, just share in a small part of what they've experienced. Have you noticed anything different with the kids coming out of COVID? Is it still as natural of an experience for them to come and do these things? Or do you see kind of what some of the schools are seeing now with just some behavioral issues or just like the disconnection from like being social? Yeah, I think um, the first summer, so we did not operate in 2020. We operated in 2021. We saw more homesickness than I'd ever seen with this age group um, in 21. That has subsided a bit. But I think what we are recognizing is the mental health challenges that youth have, um, and and not just youth. I mean, adults are struggling as well. And so we've been really intentional about providing more mental health resources to our staff so that they can best, you know, meet campers where they're at. Um, and you know, we're in these remote environments, and so they, just as we do wilderness first responder training, we're now doing more and more training about how to meet mental health needs in the field with the hope that a camper can, can stay out as long as they're comfortable versus, you know, um, prior to the pandemic, you know, if a, if a camper was struggling, we just weren't as well equipped to support them. Um, so yeah, we've definitely seen a change there. On the other hand, there's this um, opportunity where kids can overcome whatever they're struggling with and stay on a trip and find that success. And of course we would never keep them out there if it wasn't, um, something they wanted to do but uh, there's a sense of accomplishment and pride that's coming coming out of those experiences too well and then i bet they bring that home and then that just makes things you know a little more smooth going home and maybe even to the next school year that is our hope that um the the sort of best self or the um the confidence that that grows out of these experiences can carry someone throughout the year and i know i mean to kate was referencing how far back our friendship goes I think our times at camp were the foundation for, for my our athletic pursuits because we had we we knew what we were capable of from going on canoe trips as young kids and so that's part of the reason I'm I'm in this work is because I know how much I've benefited from from all of these experiences and hope that other kids can too. And that time in your life, everything is so impactful and it imprints on you. Mm -hmm. So I have the most vivid memories of our. We would go on like five, six day canoe trips. Um, it was Warren, Camp Warren was a day, day camp, but they would have a, it's called, do they still have long border? Yep. Okay. Yep. This long border trip. So if you're of a certain age, you can go out on this more extended canoe trip in the boundary waters. And I, and, and I just have these really vivid memories of that experience and details like sitting over GORP. <laughs> which for those listening who don't know what that is it's just trail mix <laughs> I didn't know what it was but that's Homemade what my, trail mix. my uh, yeah and in the rain <laughs> you know and just eating it or the you know hanging your food up or um, just being tired or you know sitting around a campfire and um, wishing everyone could just be in your life forever because no you know you don't go to all the yeah. same schools and live in the same towns 
but you feel so connected from these short experiences and also you don't have your parents around. I mean, you have large children leading you. You have young adults, you have young adults leading you, but they're they can connect. They can connect really well because they're not that much older. Yes. They're, but they've seen a few more things, and they're responsible, and they just they know how to connect in ways that maybe an adult 20, 30 years older don't. Um, and then you have people who have different experiences. You're not going to see them day to day. You can kind of let your guard down a little bit. You can share secrets, mm -hmm. and there's this. It like doesn't matter like where you are, what you wear, what you do. You can connect on a different level, which is like we're surviving, or we just love the outdoors, <laughs> or yeah. And you're moving your body movement. Constant body movement is a way to just kind of release and have clarity. So I mean, I I just remember. I don't remember everyone's name but I remember kind of faint names and faces and memories from those times so well and uh, unlike unlike many other periods of my life yeah and that near peer relationship that you're addressing is so key to this and I think uh, Minogen and, and the Warren experience we had these communities just thrive on on positivity and I think that's the other thing that kids really connect with is that this is a place where I can be myself be accepted and it's not tolerated to be nasty to kids like you're seeing on social media and some of these other places. And I think that's the other reason why youth are benefiting from summer camp experiences right now. What's something that you wish parents would know about camp, like to either prepare their, um, their children to go or something that parents could stop doing that maybe would make things easier for um, for people who are running programs like yours? Um, I, I actually feel really fortunate at Minogen. Um, we we haven't experienced the helicopter parenting that I think some other camps have experienced throughout the country. Um, so I would say to Minogen parents, please keep trusting what we're doing because it's really <laughs> nice to be able to focus on the kids when they're at camp and not be returning emails and phone calls from, from worried parents. And we have we will absolutely do that, and, and we do do that. Um, but the more the families can trust, um, the better. And we have to earn that trust, we know that. But uh, I think in terms of preparation, we're working really hard to make sure that we can actually loan out most of the gear that a camper would need to attend our camps. And so um, if a family is out there and they're on the fence about whether or not to join a camp program because they don't have the, the quote, right gear, um, we have that available. And we've worked really hard to fundraise to purchase it gear we've done gear um, donations and things like that so that and then we've also integrated borrowing gear into our entire rotation at camp so it is not unusual for a camper to borrow something and I think that's really important to know um, that we want to make wilderness experiences as accessible as possible to youth and families well and it's funny because we were just talking ahead of recording this about me and a hike that i am going to be going on and how i don't have the right gear and i've only just learned that and how kate was so kind to say oh i might have something that you, that you could borrow like there is no shame at any age no to borrow something that you might need to have an experience mm -hmm. it's, yeah it's a beautiful thing and that's yeah well and and to your point you had uh ended up with a backpack that didn't fit you and sometimes we see that and it's heartbreaking for a camper when we say you know you probably don't want to bring that one you came with um but here's one that might fit you better uh you know so in that sense it's important to you know if you are going to buy gear to to make sure that it's fitting well 
What about even the cost of camp? I had no, I had noted on the um, website that there are some scholarships available. I mean, you know, camp can get expensive. Um, how, 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 how should people try to afford this, or how do you make it accessible for families? Yeah, we we uh, we fundraise every year to keep camp accessible to anyone who wants to join us, and I have been doing this full time for eighteen years almost, and. Um, I have not had to turn a camper away. And that's something that I hope will continue. And so we're grateful to the donors that, that have invested in camp and recognizing the value of this for young kids. And so, um, you know, I would just say, please engage with our scholarship process. And if at any point it feels prohibitive, just pick up the phone and um, we'll walk you through it because there are certain forms that have to be filled out, um, you know, for accountability and things like that, but uh, we hope to make it as easy as possible for families. Because yeah. <laughs> a lot of times that, I mean, paperwork, I mean, and then just not knowing, especially if you're a family. I, I, I come from a family that we didn't do outdoors things, and the only camp I went to was a Bible camp, mm -hmm. which it was an amazing experience, but it was not really a true outdoor experience. It was it was really fun, um, but I would have never, um, without the help of my, you know, the family that I'm part of now, my husband in particular, who was always doing kind of canoe trips and backpacking and such, um, I wouldn't even know where to start. So, yeah. yeah. The other thing that we do this time of year is each camp does an now they're online because we discovered Zoom is really helpful for this, but an orientation for new families. And um, so we have a PowerPoint and as many visuals as we can, and then we'll stay on as long as necessary to answer questions. And those get recorded. So if a family missed an orientation, we can make sure and send out a link so that they feel as informed as possible. Because um, we know, as I was saying earlier, there's a lot of trust that is placed in us um, to send a camper away. And we want to make it as pleasant as possible for everybody who is letting go in this experience. Yeah, because that's really neat. I mean, when I'm thinking about when we were at summer camp, the only thing that was like techno technological was maybe the disposable Polaroid cameras that we would bring, and then you get them developed a month later and hope that you had some good pictures that turned out. <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. <laughs> yeah, so bad. <laughs> now, but and, and you know something we always think about is anxious kids being worried, you know, being homesick or being away from home, but actually there are probably many anxious parents who are worried about their children being um, apart from them or maybe they're worried about them in this particular environment. So um, that's that's really neat that in today's digital age we have families that are sending their children from all over the country or maybe even the world can have access to ask questions and feel comfortable with things that they want answered or, you know, the, the experience their child is going to have. Absolutely. And one thing I appreciate about today's youth is they're, they're not afraid to ask the questions. Um, it, it's, uh, it's really eye-opening how they're just comfortable talking about teenage things and things that are, you know, like periods on trail and things like that. And, and uh, they'll, they'll ask in front of an audience of 100 people. And I just really, I think that's, cool. that's just symbolic of the community we hope to create, right? Where, where everybody can learn together and, and there's, there's no bad question. Yeah, do they, I, yeah, because I can imagine, I mean, we're still, like I, I mentioned, I'm doing this hike, and that is one of the questions that we all, as, you know, 40-year-old women are talking about is, like, periods, and how do we go to the bathroom? 
Yeah. Like it's such like a like those are like the scary taboo kind of things that we're just starting to get comfortable talking about. Um, and I I mean the idea that you could get comfortable at a young age talking about something that's been taboo for I don't know, was it taboo for you? Like to talk it about that was taboo. taboo. It was just a gross right? or it like that girls didn't talk about that stuff or yeah, it was a little shrouded. Girls and girls didn't even really talk about it. We yeah, like, we were at an all girls camp which which helped um, at the time. That's what it was. Uh, and but yeah, it, it, it we actually so once the campers arrive at camp, we also do something called the shuffle where we essentially do the the camping one on one with mm. the campers. And so part of that ro- is a rotation that talks about leave no trace principles in the wilderness and and how to go to the bathroom, how to you know wash dishes and you know where it's safe to drink the water. I should say where it's safe to get water that then we treat and they drink. Um, With the bowl first. Yeah, and that that doesn't... And then put a little water in there. Yeah, there's a lot more choice, I would say. Um, (laughs) We were taught to lick the bowl. Absolutely. That that is still happening, but I'll tell you what's not happening anymore is when there's leftovers. Kids are not forced to finish the leftovers. And that, from our era of, of summer camp, you know, that was pretty common, yeah. and I didn't really think much of it at the time, but it makes a lot of sense that we're no longer doing that. Yes, of course. That's yeah. a good question. Like, what has changed from maybe people who are listening, what they could expect for their own children that maybe has changed since? Is there much, or is it pretty standard? I think camp in general is more intentional than when we were in the 90s, um, and, and also more structured. And um, now, a wilderness camp... You know, the day sort of structures itself in terms of getting from A to B. But um, I think we were talking about this earlier. Like, we, our parents didn't even know if we went on that 10-day canoe trip. No, they had no idea. Like, you would go to camp for a month, and what you did during that month... Nobody knows. Nobody knows. knows. (laughs) And so now, now we... Now there's an app for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. There's an app to trace your child with their tag. Find my child again. Stuck in their backpack. Yeah. Luckily, we're not quite doing that, but it is, um, you know, we're telling families a lot more up front, and that's a big change, and a are, smart one. Are they allowed to have their phones at camp? We, we actually lock them up for them. Um, it, that's a philosophical, and then also just, like, you imagine the value of phones and the environments in which we're traveling, like, keeping them dry and yeah. not cracked and everything else, but, but, it, it, but the intention there is, is to um, have campers be present. Yeah. My son, like I said, went to camp last year and a YMCA camp and he, we didn't let him bring his phone even on the bus and he was not happy with us. <laughs> and then was, I said, nobody else will have theirs. I was wrong. Everyone did. And he was like the only guy on the bus without a phone and parents could we all just get together and like not even send their phones. Like they can get them when they come back. Yeah. But I know I'm going to get stuck this year when he goes. Like, he's going to remember that, and I'm probably going to let him have his phone, you know? It's yeah. Yeah, that, and the bus rides are definitely, um, we have a lot less impact there. Yeah. Um, but I think once a camper arrives at camp, half of them are relieved to pass it off. And the other half quickly realizes why we ask for them. Mm-hmm. Can you give us, can you give our listeners an idea of maybe a few things that they wouldn't expect is kind of happening behind the scenes to make sure, you know, there's like, if you imagine, like, think of all the food that needs to be packaged and weighed and measured. Think of all the 
coordination of the various logistics in and out and I mean there's just there is just so much like give us some stories yeah (laughs) what are you what is happening behind how do you do this (laughs) yeah so it just seems overwhelming to me yeah A, a question that makes every camp director cringe is well what do you do the rest of the year Oh. And the reality is, the reality is we're planning probably 14 to 15 months out for a summer. So, you know, we've already in a lot of ways started to think about 2024. Um, and uh, let's see. So during the pandemic, of course, we knew there were all these supply chain issues. I have a story where we actually got some items that I ordered in February of 2020 last July. So July of oh. 22. So that could just tell you how much troubleshooting was happening. Um, and then with the war in Ukraine, we, we were having trouble getting um, some of our staples like um, grains and rice and things like that last year. Uh, here's an odd one. There's a, there's a national shortage of powdered hummus, which um, is a staple for our vegetarian campers. Yeah. And so that's been a multi-year scavenger hunt to try and have enough to meet the needs it's our new business i didn't even know there was powdered hummus i make it yeah really okay yeah so (laughs) things like that and and then there's permitting so if you can appreciate you know we're operating in it's probably a dozen different um places throughout a summer and you have to get permits because um you know we're we're in charge of the kids so it's not it's not as easy as if you're you're just going with a group of friends um and so that all takes a lot of forethought. And uh, then last summer, for instance, we were we have Yellowstone trips, and Yellowstone oh. flooded. And so we were working at the last minute to try and reroute those groups, um, either find alternative sites or the National Park Service was able to reroute us within Yellowstone National Park. Uh, yesterday morning I woke up and there's fires in Alberta. And so now I'm gonna be tracking uh, the spring fire season you know, everywhere in the Rockies, really, but um, particularly up there. So um, those are the things people probably don't realize. And then Minogen is water access only, so we haul every single bit of food um, across the lake. And so it just takes a team it's effort amazing. to it's execute really all amazing. parts. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know either. I mean, it's... So, so Minogen is like more badass than any of the other camps. Is that what we're we're saying here? We like to think so. She can confirm, but no, I won't deny. I mean, it kind of sounds like it to me. We do like to think so, yeah. Is there a, in the summer, so if we think about the summer camps, the summer camp time, um, do you have a typical day? Can you talk to us about like, what, what is a typical day in your life? You wake up. Yeah. Um, I wake up and then we really intentionally do something called first word, um, we have a like an amphitheater type setting at the point, and um, every morning we do reflections. So we rotate amongst the staff who is going to lead the camp in a five to fifteen minute activity to start the day. And I am so grateful for that. It's it. Well, by the way, before then I've also had a staff meeting with the full time team because you have to, you know, sort of plan each day as it comes. But then we have that, and then and then we go to breakfast, and then. And what time is breakfast? Breakfast is at eight. So I so tend to get up at 6.30, yeah. Okay. Um, and what's fun when I first move up is, it, well, for the first month, really, you know, the, the birds start chirping in the 4 o'clock hour, so, <laughs> there's so it's sort of like this slow wake up. Um, and for those, for those listening who may not live in Minnesota, 
at the peak of the summer, like June and July, the sun rises at 4 a.m. and yeah. sets at like 10:30. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's... we have long days, <laughs> and and it's great. But yeah, just just to give people an idea of the birds chirping at four. Yeah, and I have, I mean, just to set the the scene a little bit, I live in a log cabin built in the mid 40s, and it's it's really a special spot. And there's a screen porch that faces west so um sunsets i try and get home for sunset every night if i can and um we're adjacent to a boundary waters entry point so you know it's just a magical place to live um and then so after breakfast then we just start whatever that day's activity is uh it could be that the kids are on site and we're doing all the orientations but it could also be what the day that the kids uh paddle out and and get what we call dropped at their various sites and so that's the day where there's an extra amount of enthusiasm um so we paddle everybody or boat everybody across the lake and then they get into vans and we drive them all over the place um to start their experiences uh and then you know same thing might happen in the in the afternoon and then in the evening uh we rotate through some campfires and uh, what we call second night activity which could be anything from someone from the National Park Service coming to speak to the campers. Uh, local adventurers might speak to the campers. Or uh, we do what we call Voyager Olympics, which is um, you know, sort of helping them learn some of the trail skills in a uh, competitive environment. Okay. Mm. You do some uh, solo canoe portaging. Yeah, so on. that doesn't happen anymore either. Oh. So we really- oh, Kate's uh, bummed. That was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. And it still is some places. Um, but we we try and get the campers to work together just for long-term health of their backs and, and um, Smart. early pride for sure. Uh, but one of the cool things we do is, is um, the banquet on the last night. So campers will come back on a Thursday and Minogen is built around food in a lot of ways, ceremonially. And so um, we'll have some massive banquet and, and then that'll be followed by skits um, commemorating the, the trips and those are those are by far some of my favorite times because it's just you know what's better than a bunch of great people sitting around enjoying good food um, we cook almost exclusively from scratch and the kitchen takes pride in having some sort of theme for those banquet meals and they're all over the map and incredible I remember when we were at, at Warren, um, you know, like camp songs are a big deal at summer camp. Yeah. And every some there are like some songs that sort of permeate every summer camp in the country and potentially. And others that might be special or a certain yeah. <laughs> So I still remember some of the camp songs that we sang together, but what what are kind of are there a couple of top two camp songs that Minogen has that are just sort of like yeah, that's really special to anybody leaving there. It's like this is the song you know. Is there like an opening, um, food, opening meal song, a closing meal yeah. song, or like um, what was the ceremony that you do daily? The reflection. Oh, at, at first word. Yeah. First word. Um, anything there or? Uh, I'll tell you about a moment. So we didn't sing during during uh, COVID, and so last last June we decided we were going to roll out the songbooks again. You know after. A long hiatus and what I remember distinctly about that is that we sang a song called Viva La Company which um, a number of, of camps sing but it was just again I keep talking about these moments of just energy and synergy and and the whole staff just singing at the top of their lungs with the return of song 
because um, as you say, I mean, it's it's critical to everything. We sing two songs after every meal. Um, there's some John Prine classics in the songbook. Um, but one cool project that is happening is uh, there's a group of uh, staff alumni who are working to sort of revamp the songbook to make it a, a lot more inclusive and, and to remove some of the songs that we have no business singing anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, that's been an interesting uh, education for me in the last few years. And that project, is, as you can imagine, is a labor of love, so it's not complete, but mm-hmm. something that we're working towards. I just remember our song in Warren that we used to sing. Elsie was a mighty fine cow. Yeah, Elsie. yeah. Do you, do you want to sing it for us, you two? I, Absolutely not. <laughs> no? No one wants it to hear it. It wouldn't bring back, like, your camp days? No. No? Okay. But and Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was pre-meal. That's when, when Grace was still called Grace. Yeah. Now we do okay. gratitudes, um, which are a little bit more inclusive, but, yeah. So food is good. Yes, come for the food. All right, good to know. So in case you're, and so then you can deal with like any dietary requests. Yes, if you, um, if it would be really fun for you to see the behind the scenes because I would say our amazing kitchen staff is probably accommodating seven or eight unique needs at every meal, and um, which didn't exist. 30 years ago. No, no. And you And I'm actually part of part yeah. of that. Like they, they do a wonderful job of accommodating some of my needs. And um, I'm just so grateful for them. And there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it as being something really hard or, or something really fun and an opportunity. And creative. Yeah, most days that. that's that's the attitude that comes and, and I'm still, as I said, grateful for that. And and for the campers whose parents call and they're like, I don't know, we're on the fence. And, and I can say with confidence, we would love to meet your, your camper where they're at. Um, but you can imagine with, with celiacs, for example, we have to send out separate uh, pots for, for those campers and, mm-hmm. and we're happy to do it. We just, the more we can hear in advance of a camper's needs, the more easily we can accommodate. So going back to the pack out side of things, we have um, our food pack out system is separate from the main kitchen and so um, the campers get to engage in that but there's a peanut free zone and there's you know um, gluten free and everything else in mm-hmm. between to make sure that campers are well fed I remember making myself allergic to peanut butter one year at Warren because I ate so much of it that I broke out oh. <laughs> and then Captain Crunch which is horrible, by the way, but my family would have never bought Captain Crunch, and it was at camp. And so I was mm-hmm. eating bowls of it, of course. Because, because we only had Cheerios yep. or Grape Nuts at home. Raisin Bran. It's like when you go to like a hotel, like one of those hotels that yes. has a free breakfast. Like, yeah. But they're going to every, every day for like three weeks. <laughs> That's, you know, one day is fine. But um, so a lot of people... Like, just too much peanut butter, too much Captain Crunch. Yeah, that was a famous in-kind donation of the 90s, because there was fettuccine as well that mm-hmm. summer um, that was donated, so we ate a lot of it. <laughs> oh, my God, it was just awful. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, I mean, that just adds a whole other layer of complexity. Yeah. Not only, I mean, we talked about, like, logistics, and then you have... Um, maybe, you know, force majeure, like, you know, weather and mother nature, um, competing priorities yeah. <laughs> or intentions. And then, and then just, if you imagine how difficult it is to pack up 
maybe even the same food for everyone, and then you're accommodating to all these different dietary um, needs. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing yeah. what yeah. you're able to do. And our staff do an incredible job of implementing all that on trail. So, you know, it's... Um, they. You know, you ask how things have changed. I think the, the level of professionalism of the team that I work with is, is top-notch. And, you know, these folks are choosing to be professional guides. And, um, you know, we we expect a lot out of them. And I'm, I'm impre- impressed how they rise to the occasion. And, um, you know, we have a couple of folks who are year-round seasonal employees at various organizations. Um, and so they're choosing to make this a career. Um, you know, to go back to the question early on, and I really admire those folks who are who are sort of changing the narrative around you know who is a a camp counselor or a seasonal employee. And how does someone become a camp, camp counselor? Like, what what are the various paths? How, how yeah, do they end up there. I mean, the reality is most um, people come to us because they have been at a camp, not necessarily Minogen, but they come with sort of that. That background, uh, but we see youth workers. We see some people who start at a day camp and they get curious about what it's like to work at a wilderness camp. Um, but what's fun is like you you can't necessarily predict the major. Most of most of our staff are in college. You can't predict what major they are, mm-hmm. and I think that's huh. that. Excuse me, that helps build the community too. Is just all these different perspectives. Um, you know, we're trying to cast a much broader net. Uh, so that we can do a better job of having our staff reflect the the various dimensions of diversity of our campers. Um, but it's industry-wide, it's it's a challenge, and we have a long way to go, and we, we're owning that, um, but but definitely struggling to, to sort of change who the typical camp counselor is. And what are some of the qualities that you look for in a counselor? I think it's that um, ability to relate with you. So a lot of people come to us with some youth development background because you have to create that build that trust so quickly with the with a camper um and so being really warm and welcoming we're looking for people who are open to learning because we have a, a very um our community uh has a healthy amount of challenge within it to make sure that we're being the best um environment we can for for both campers and staff um and so the, those qualities being flexible, because as you're talking about, you know, if, if you're not flexible and you're in this field, you're going to be really frustrated because schedules change, but Mother Nature also throws plenty of challenge at us. And so um, being flexible and, and willing to learn. And then just also being willing to bring your own skill set and share it with others. I think that's the value of that near-peer relationship with the camper and the, and the we call them guides, um, is that... They can learn from each other and, um, you know, and being able to facilitate group dynamics is no easy task. No easy task. What about stewardship? Um, I think so much about that and how we're um, talking to kids about the environment and our natural world and why it is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that built into programming? It is, yeah, um, on many levels. Um, you know, th- first of all, we're, we when the campers arrive, we do a land acknowledgement to recognize that, you know, the, the camp itself um, is on stolen land, and, and uh, we're trying to do a better job of educating the youth about uh, the Grand Portage tribe that's in our our area, and and also to help when we go to all these places whether it be northern Canada or the Brooks Range of Alaska or, or 
Western Rockies to better understand the lands in which we're traveling on there as well. Um, and then I think uh, many people are probably aware that we're, we're battling a, um, some sulfide ore mines uh, that are being proposed within the Boundary Waters watershed. And so we're working to educate the youth about that threat as well. Um, and in fact, a number of our youth and our staff are very engaged on all kinds of, of social justice issues and environmental justice issues. And uh, we try and create a space for that to happen. Sounds like our kids need to get up there, Kate. I agree. I agree. Actually, I'm, I'll, I need to look at a family camp weekend with my little bud. Yeah, do those fill up pretty quickly? I know sometimes those are very competitive. Yeah, they, should I sign up? Yeah. They are. Uh, a year in advance, like as soon as it opens? Yeah, so actually I think most Why the North camps are going to be releasing fall and winter um programs the last week of May for families. Okay, so, so I'm, I should, making, I'm gonna put that in my yeah. calendar. Yeah, I believe it's May 24th. Please don't hold me to that. Um, okay, end of May, put it on your yeah. calendar. And, and so there's a number of camps with with a nice variety of offerings there. Do you have a sauna there? We do. <sighs> yeah. What? Yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it's, it's on the water's edge. <laughs> it's incredible. Ah. It, it's, uh, I, there's nothing like it. You just have to come experience it. But it is, uh, it is very hot, and the water is right there. And we we operate the sauna year round, so it's uh, extra special in the winter. The hole in the ice. So in the in the winter, then are you snowmobiling or snowshoeing across the lake? What are you getting to camp? Yeah. So we encourage um, those that are able to pull a sled with their belongings behind them. Um, and there, you know, there's not a, we're in the dark sky zone, so there's very little light pollution. So it's an incredible experience to be that self-sufficient and traveling across. Generally, it's dark out because, you know, the sun sets at like 3.30 in the winter. Um, but we also, uh, we have a really strong partnership with Wilderness Inquiry. And so uh, they bring folks with um, disabilities. And so some of those folks might get an assist with the snowmobile or uh, we have a gentleman who's been coming to a painter's weekend who I believe is now in his late 80s so sometimes he gets a lift uh, but other than that it's uh, pretty self-propelled. What is a painter's weekend? Uh, Plain Air's group uh, comes in they used to come in January they would aim for the coldest week of the year but now Last they come in, in March. <laughs> um, yeah there's a few other things going on that weekend too. Yeah. Later. Um, but anyway, these they, they do outdoor painting, and they're they're just oh. a wonderful group of, of people. I've, I don't know these people. Know. That's really yeah. cool. Huh. They do this all over, um, but we're lucky enough to have them for a week. Do you also, do you do, um, like, private uh, camp weekends for, like, groups, like, uh, maybe companies or families? Or, like, there's people, if they contacted you and said, hey, we've got... 15, 30 people, and we'd like a curated weekend for us. Is that possible? Yeah, if, if um, we do do that. It's, it's less, it's a smaller part of our business, but for instance, we have a 30th wedding anniversary happening at camp in uh, September, and um, there's a soccer group that has come for years uh, in the winter. And so if we're able to fit in a smaller group around a, a bigger group, that works really well. Um, and we like camp to be a shared space, so groups may overlap with each other, but we do our best to to make sure that they would be a good fit together. So we need, Jody, we need to get together mm -hmm. a group of yeah. cool women yep. in the outdoors yep. to go and do a weekend. Yeah. 
I love the idea of, I mean, especially a winter weekend and like, I mean, Kate, you already do winter things, but I, <laughs> yeah. but the idea of moving all of your stuff across and I mean, that must just feel is be confidence building and just such an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, especially for someone who hasn't done it before. Well, and, and you may assume that those weekends trend older, but they don't. We have toddlers that do this mm. traverse. It's about half a mile across. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one of my favorite things um, to, to guide those families across because, you know, you can just watch that awe and wonder develop and, and the accomplishment that, it, that like a four-year-old experiences just from crossing the lake. And then you see them start to own the place as the weekend progresses and always by the last night it's just chaos at dinner and the kids are running around the dining hall because they've made all these new friends and um you know i get as much joy out of the family weekends as i do this summer um so it's good that's awesome are there any is there a question that we haven't asked you that you think would be um insightful hmm that's a good question (laughs) No, I think um, there's a lot of amazing programs. You know, we're rooted in the Twin Cities, of course. That, like the coming out of the pandemic, there's a, there's a ton of interest in outdoor pursuits, and also I think there's even more intentionality around how to do that. And so, you know, I think there's great meetups in the Twin Cities. There's affinity groups in the Twin Cities that allow people to have that point of entry. Um, into the outdoors and you know the work that's going on at the Lopit Foundation for instance with skiing um, and the why at the why we're we're starting with nature in the neighborhood programs and so I think there's just more intentionality about how to get people connected so that you can have this this lifetime of engagement and this progression if you choose to have it of engagement and um, I just encourage people to to take that risk if you you are curious about outdoor pursuits and you haven't pursued it yet to you know take that leap of faith because there's a lot of people out there excited to introduce you so one thing that the listeners may not know about Megan is she has been heli skiing I have how many times handful I I believe I've been four times four times so this is getting into what Megan does for fun yeah right 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 talking about all the fun she creates for others others. what does what does she do for fun yes so where have you been heli skiing um in so in Canada, and uh, I just went in February, and it was an extra special trip because my dad had turned 70 during the pandemic, and we tried three times to do this trip, and we finally were able to do it um, this February. And so, you know, my dad's now 72 and a half, if you will, um, and he is still going heli skiing. And so, wow. To celebrate that with him, and he skied the pants off us all all day, uh, per usual, mm-hmm. and to be able to still enjoy that uh, as a multi generational pursuit is really special. Um, so that was most recent. I went up to Golden, British Columbia, to do that. Uh, and I, we we was who? Uh, it was my my two sisters, my brother in law, my father, and my uncle and me, uh, and we we had a really great time. There wasn't the snow wasn't very good, but. Uh, you know, we're not usually a family that rallies around food, but we did this time. And so that was kind of fun for us uh, to, we enjoyed the skiing, but I think just the fellowship was, was extra special this time. Um, and then my dad continues to be a travel partner for me. So we, we've been cat skiing in, in Utah and then, um, 
What's cat skiing? Cat snow cat skiing is when you you ride what looks like the groomer up. Okay. Um, and and you access the the skiing that way. Okay. And then there's memorable trips. One in high school and one when I graduated um, from grad school that were also with my dad. Uh, heli skiing. So I feel very fortunate that that's been an opportunity for me, um, and I I hope to continue to do it. We need to go. Yes, we I do. still haven't been. I have my sights on a lot so of places. Megan and I both ski race, downhill ski racing. Oh, um, did. Yeah. Okay. In like eight, eight through. Did you? Were you through? I raced two years in college. Two years. Yeah. So we went. We 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 both raced through high school, eighth grade through high school, and then in college. Um, and so that that was another way that we kept our friendship. Was after camp, not just being in the same school, but we also skied. skied. Yeah, hmm. I have to work a lot harder in preparation of those trips now. I'll tell you, <laughs> um, but I yeah. I enjoy Nordic skiing. Um, I've been training for various Berkey events, whether it's the Cordelopet or the Berkebiner itself. Uh, but that's been a really good foundation <laughs> to be able to keep up the alpine habit because, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it once was. We we run into each other on the Berkey Trail before. Yes, in the race. Of course, that's <laughs> your lockers were right next yeah. to each other. Let's be clear. That's when Kate is passing me. <laughs> My mom actually a couple years ago. She's like, did you ever consider the fact that it was Kate that you were trying to beat in athletics all those years? <laughs> like what? What a stupid no. pursuit! Like I she's know. elite. <laughs> it was really quite funny. I was like, oh yeah. I hope we were never in competition. I didn't feel like healthy that. competition. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Chasing, I think, was the word. <laughs> okay, okay. I spent a lot of when when Megan was um, we were at, like eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade. Um, she had her sister was born. Yeah. Like so, it was a third child later. So there was this baby around, and I was spending a lot of time at their house, and so that was. Yeah. That's fine. Kate, Kate was Ellie's favorite for sure. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Anything else we need to ask? I'm looking at all the questions here to see if there's anything really neat that we didn't cover. You had a, a bunch on there, Jody, but I don't know. No, you got a lot of those. Did you two immediately like each other? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. You you had been at camp already for a few years. I feel like yeah. were you like a young camper, like maybe nine years old. Yeah, seven. Seven. So, and I and I think we was it. 12, I think 13? we were eleven or twelve. Yeah, eleven or twelve. So she had already been at camp. She was like a she was one seasoned. of the seasoned staples of the uh-huh. camp. And she and her her friend were they. Had, yeah, they were like the old, like the most tenured campers there at 11. So they kind of knew the drill and knew around, but I think, we, I think we hit it off. I think so. Did you two ever get into any trouble in camp? No, we were no. not. No, we were not. We were, we were such rule followers. Yeah, I can't think of you a single time. You were like sneaking into the kitchen at night, stealing food or doing no. any of that oh, stuff that I hear gosh. about. We were a bad match for getting in trouble, that's for sure. We were both really focused, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we were like Most of the time. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm trying to remember. I mean, there was all there was always like something going on at camp, but I I just remember 
know. Just all in, I think. Yeah. More than anything. Mm. Soaking it all in. I think we both just loved being in the wilderness and being outdoors and loved every moment of the way things were there and how simple it was and so it's easy to bond with somebody when you're like yeah you like you like the you like air I like air too yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's true. I mean yeah and we didn't have any complications of today either so that made it even simpler right. there was we were I, I didn't feel like I was missing anything if anything I was feeling like I need to stay here forever yeah, I want to go home. I would struggle mightily upon the return too, because we'd be in that community for a month, and then you try and come home, and mm. I was just like, "Can you bring me back, please, <laughs> yes. my friends?" Yeah, I remember having a really hard time adjusting back home. I think we both of us were probably more the opposite of, you know, some people are worried to leave home. We were like, "Get me out of here!" Yeah, <laughs> worried to come home. <laughs> are there places that exist where you could have more of a camp experience year round? Like, I mean, a boarding yeah. school. I mean, there's outdoor, I mean, there's outdoor schools. Yeah, you know, that's true. There's forest school and yeah. um, other yeah. outdoor, you know, school environments in the Twin Cities. But yeah, there's a place called the High Mountain Institute in Colorado. There used to be um, a school in Wisconsin, but I believe that's closed. Mm-hmm. So they, and then there in New England, there's there's a few um, boarding schools that focus on on more of a wilderness context but yeah they're I mean that's a good question I think there's more than we realize but yeah probably they're not that well known yeah and as a parent too I know it'd be so hard to let your kid go yeah like but that's probably I don't know as you're saying like get me back like I want to be back I want to yeah people used to ask my mom like how do you how how do you send her away? And my mom's like, because she thrives. Mm. We would be doing her a disservice if we didn't send her to camp. And and I know that's not the experience of, of all youth, but, you know, it's clearly had an impact on me. And, you know, to your point about simplicity, I think I'm still seeking that. You know, my job is extremely complex. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting on my porch watching the sunset. Yeah. And there's, there's routine to that. And, um... I get to actually pay attention to the change of seasons in a way that I don't always do when I'm at my home in Minneapolis. Um, and it's, it's really special to notice how the sunset moves across the horizon throughout the season or the birds that are there in, in May that I'm no longer hearing in October. Um, and it's a special way to live. We Do This For Fun is supported by 515 Productions, a high-end video production business based in Minneapolis. The website is 515productions.com. And did you know that Jody is also a health and wellness coach? Check out her website at jodygruen.com. If you like this podcast, we love your support. Please rate and review us and hit subscribe. Learn more about us at wedothisforfun.com. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback. Email us at wedothisforfun at gmail.com. We'll be dedicating future episodes to answering your questions. So let her rip, whether it's about gear purchases or tampons and IBS in the wilderness. We do not judge. We promise we've been there, done that. Nothing is off the table. And thanks for listening.